Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is proudly sponsored by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. SSV Limited have established themselves as the go-to partner to help you grow your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit, coupled with the knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion, whether it's equipment supply, fully turnkey or anything in between. Their part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to keep your brewery up and running, many of which are available on next day delivery. Visit their website on ssvlimited.co.uk. That's ssvlimited.co.uk. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Four podcast. Alas, 2020 has finally come to an end. And while this complete and utter shit show of a year is finally over, we can hardly breathe a sigh of relief just yet. The economic impact, as well as the social and physical one from the pandemic over the last year, will have a lasting effect on the world for years to come. It's very easy to view the world through the lens of the eyes of where you are. Our worldviews are often defined by where we live, how much we've been exposed to other cultures, and all the nuances that come from living in a particular time and space that is our own. The coronavirus pandemic has affected all countries of the world, but in very different ways. This really hit home to me recently when I had a conversation and discussion with my friend Kevin Bature about the realities of upscaling Nigeria's first craft brewery in the coronavirus pandemic era. You know, it's so easy to think, in the West at least, that pandemics are relatively new to humanity. While places like sub-Saharan Africa have lived with, for example, malaria and typhoid fever for millennia, to the point where coping with diseases like these are just a routine part of daily life. And yet, life goes on in a place like Nigeria, a country that is now starting to ride the craft beer wave that many other nations in the world have enjoyed for the past decade or so. I first got to meet Kevin through this podcast, incidentally. I worked with him on a consultancy project for the brewery and became fascinated with their story. To save reiterating the whole thing here, you'll hear Kevin, in his own words, openly talk about his background, how he ended up living in Nigeria, and the brewery he co-founded. Some of the things we didn't get around to talking about in the show itself include the camaraderie between the team who I have the privilege of meeting. The Bature team are a close-knit community embracing their newfound passion for craft beer together while bringing their culture and heritage to the table through local artists designing labels, utilising flavours from native ingredients to Africa, and embracing a new generation of artisanal businesses in West Africa that are shaking up the traditional norms of multinational corporations operating in and monopolising the market in the country. Funnily enough, when I worked on this project, I was introduced to uh, Joe from Guaylo in Hong Kong, a brewery with a similar ethos and story to Bature, who my good friend Sean Robertson has been working with as the UK commercial director. Sean and Daisy Terrell, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with, were kind enough to send me some of their beers. So in the absence of any Bature beer to sample, which I thought would go well with this episode, but their canning line's not up yet, so I'm assured that I'm going to get sent some. I'm really looking forward to it, Kevin, when you get around to that. Um, I thought I would sample on the show uh, some Guaylo beers, and um, I'm going to I'm gonna try this one. Now, I did try this the other day, so I'm, I, I'm not entirely new to it, just to be up front. Um, but I was um, chatting to my good friend Marv, who was um, the brewer that took on my brewing role at Sheffield Brewery, 
um, the other night. And at the end of a few beers, we were like, I think it's stout time. I was like, yeah, too right, it's stout time. So I went down to my stash and I was like, oh, Guayla, I've got a good stout. I'll, uh, I'll go get that. So I got um, Sudoku Golden Stout now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess, I'd had a few by this point. And obviously the word golden should have been a dead giveaway. Anyway, um, this label is, is pr- pretty simple, but it's pretty effective and pretty nice. It's got um, a Sudoku puzzle on it. Now, I, I'm going to confess, I'm crap at maths. I've got an E in GCC maths. It's amazing that I run my own business and I have to do cash flows and all the rest of it. Uh, I wish I'd have paid more attention now. Um, but I cracked this open, which I'm about to, and I was like, and I poured it. I was like, that's not black. That's like pale. That shouldn't be stout coloured. And, um, you know, it left me really puzzled, hence the name uh, Sudoku Stout. Um, so I want to crack this open and, and retaste it now that I'm not nowhere near as um, intoxicated as I was the other night with Marv. Um, so now I've had their fig stout, which is stout coloured. And that was absolutely divine. Um, 8% Christmassy beer, which is lovely. But this one is a golden stout. Now I do like a good white stout. It has to be said. Something about them that I just think is really good. I, I don't know, I've got a bit of a sweet tooth. Um, so I'm pouring this one. Beautiful head coming out. So these are limited edition uh, beers that they brewed with fierce beer up in Aberdeen. Um, so I'm going to taste this. And it is lovely. I always, why stats always amaze me because they, they have, obviously they're not, they're not completely stouty like a, you know, a stout, an Irish stout and black, but, um, they have a certain quality that is different to any other beer. Maybe it's that sweet quality, but it does make me think, of um of malts and complex sort of roasty flavors but it is really nice and um the the branding is very clean and crisp which is again as a designer that always floats my boat and as a brewer making good beer also floats my boat so it's a win-win on every front um now if you want to check out guelo which I, I suggest you do they've partnered with vocation uh, to brew their core range so and guarantee their beers are going to be absolutely spot on. Make sure you check out Guelo Beer. That's G-W-E-I-L-O beer.co.uk. That's Guelo Beer.co.uk. If you're interested in finding out more and buying some of their excellent beers. And as I said, tasting this and the other ones, I would highly recommend that you do. So we're ending 2020 and the first epic season of the Hot 4 podcast on an altogether international note. And we're starting as we mean to go on. I'm hoping to connect with many international brewers, suppliers and beer businesses of all shapes and sizes for the next round of the Hot 4 podcast in 2021. So if you're listening to this from abroad and you're like, oh, I know a really good brewery or supplier or bar or some kind of cultural beer reference um, who you think I should connect with, please hook me up with them. I'd love to talk to them and have a bit more of a global focus on the podcast next year. Um, and keep your ear to the ground for the next season, which is going to drop in spring after I've had a little break in the new year. Now, next week's episode, episode 100, has a guest of biblical proportions. Now, the episode is called Brewdog or the Wife, which is a little hint, and you'll have to wait and see who the guest is. Now, it's either a beer business entrepreneur and punk founder of the largest independent craft brewery in the UK or it's my wife Claire now I'm sure you don't want to miss that episode so make sure you follow us on all the socials at hot forward beers and visit our website hotford.beer to find out how you and your brewery your bar bottle shop or supply chain business can get ahead in the brewing a beer business through a range of services tailored to you and your company from branding and marketing to social media management and consultancy we're here to make your beers look as good as they taste and help you brew up a better beer business so who knows it's a 50 chance it'll be james from Brewdog or claire from peterborough but for now, I'll leave you in suspense as we crack open today's episode with Kevin Bature coming to you all the way from Lagos in Nigeria from Bature Brewery, West Africa's first craft brewery. Happy New Year, folks, and cheers. Today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by Kevin Bature, co-founder of the Nigerian brewery Bature Brewery. Hello. 
Hi there, Nick. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. As you pointed out, I've got my festive jumper on. Uh, nice festive jumper. It's, I wish I knew that was the attire for today. I would have joined you. Evidently, <laughs> you didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how are you doing? How's, how's it going? Yeah, really good, really good. Um, exciting time here in Nigeria with the brewery growing. And it's uh, great to be on the show. I just wanted to say that usually you are interviewing people around barrel-aging beers or around um, wild yeast cultivation. And that's definitely a few years ahead for us. Um, we're not quite there yet, but it's really great to share our story. So thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's what it's been, it's, uh, getting to know you a little bit, it's been um, really interesting, which is why I want to go and get you on the podcast. Um, so for, first off, before we chat about opening Nigeria's first craft brewery, which is an interesting story in and of itself, can you give our listeners a bit of background about yourself and how you ended up in Nigeria? Because I'm sure some people might have tuned in thinking they're going to hear a native Nigerian speak and then hearing your Scottish tones is uh, maybe come out of left field a bit. So um, like, what, how did you end up in Nigeria? Yeah, it's no secret that um, I'm from Glasgow, yeah, in Scotland. And I've been in Nigeria for just over 10 years now. Right. Um, been a, an excellent adventure over there. I've got so many great stories to tell about the opportunities, but getting there was was something else. The, the Nigerian brewery itself, you know, is mixed ownership, majority Nigerian team as well, but I've founded it back in... Um, 2016 with some friends of mine but I first went to Nigeria after working in Afghanistan so I was uh, basically trained or educated uh, in research qualitative and statistical research analysis and then I ended up out in Afghanistan doing surveys on Afghans on their support for the Taliban or the support for the Afghan forces and wow. some so so-called clandestine NGO outfit, I won't say its name. So after kind of running around uh, the streets of Kabul and elsewhere, I was like, this this is interesting, but certainly, you know, I thought it was a bit risky. It was getting a bit too too crazy for me out there. So I decided to, to make a move um, and I was looking for some new opportunities, kind of fitting with my background on on research and, uh, and um, uh, looking at interesting political or um, governance issues. And I ended up uh, taking on a role in northern Nigeria in Kano in 2011. And that was really around business regulation and investment policy. So heading up the research there around investment opportunities, uh, return on investment, um, access to markets, resources, and advising the government. This was funded by um, International Development Community, you know, DFID, as it was known then, and, mm. and uh, USAID. So I was over there doing that um, for a couple of years. And as I said, get to know the northern, the north of Nigeria. It's predominantly Muslim. It's Sharia law. It's um, predominantly agricultural based. Um, but, you know, the country was, was so dynamic, extremely interesting place. Multiple cultures, tribes, climate, everything. And so much wealth and prosperity juxtaposed with, you know, infrastructure and, and, and challenges of uh, the poor and um, education and healthcare as well. So it was really dynamic. And then so I ended up on a two, three year contract out there and I kept extending it because I always felt there was a new challenge or something, something new to do and got to work with some really interesting people and worked out with the Nigerian Senate um, uh, on the competition bill worked with the vice president on a few access to finance initiatives for businesses. So yeah, it was really, really interesting time. But when my contract ended in 2016 and I was vowing or threatening to come back to Glasgow, I somehow found that me and a, a friend of mine had uh, set up a brewery. <laughs> so <laughs> once, uh, once we had done that, as, as all good stories about how breweries start, you know, it's kind of a hobby that got mm. out of control. But in 20, <laughs> 20, 2016, we were, we were brewing in our um, basically our garage and, and people were starting to buy our beers and there wasn't you know i didn't feel a clamor to to rush back to the uk i felt like nigeria is a place to be um it's an exciting place at that and decided to stay and, and try and try and build the brewery up into into a business wow so i mean chat through what it was like starting a brewery in nigeria um because i mean i'm sure you know, there was lots of different regulations and all that kind of thing. And um, yeah. I mean, what was that like? I think there's two two ways to look at it. One is the the hobby end or the passion for the craft and, you know, doing it because you love it. And the other end is more around the opportunity to build a business and how realistic is it. And in the cities that I've worked, you know, and by 20, 
16, I was living in Abuja. Abuja is like the political capital, but it's good roads, growing, growing city. And I'd traveled to Lagos quite a lot. And Lagos is huge. You know, it's over 10 million people in the city. Um, sorry, over 19 million people in the city. Um, it is, you can see new businesses starting up on a, almost a monthly basis. Mm. You don't really see that in the UK. You see like brand new brands, local brands, international brands, Domino's Pizza moving in, Pizza Hut opening up, Coldstone Creamery, um, uh, next, um, ASOS now delivering to, to Lagos. So you just see all these brands really coming in and moving and indigenous local brands starting up as well. So you had that real sense that, you know, there is a business opportunity here. And then when we did a bit of like digging around and looking at, could we court investment eventually? Could we actually sell beer? You know, you look at the rate and like 40% of Africa's middle class live in Lagos, the city of Lagos alone. And 36% of like all alcohol consumption in, in, in Africa is, is, is within Nigeria. Mm. And the big, I mean, these are things that obviously I've, I've researched and, and put forward to people interested in coming into Nigeria uh, in my previous work. But the largest importer of Moe Chandon champagne outside of the US is Nigeria and the world. So it just shows right. you that there is mm. consumption for high-end products there. And I was talking to a few other people are new in businesses and they were starting up uh, cassava chips, luxury cassava chips called Casanovas. Cassavas is obviously grown in Nigeria. Uh, luxury chocolate brand, uh, uh, luscious chocolates uh, made with, you know, locally gathered cocoa beans. Made, and the same with Calde coffee, luxury uh, hand roasted coffee beans made with Nigerian coffee beans. So, you know, just that whole push to have high quality products was really inspiring for us. And we love craft beer and this goes back into the, the passion for it. We got really bored of drinking the local beer star and then Heineken, which owns star, <laughs> um, mm. which is like a really sweet lager with totally inconsistent uh, ABVs. Sometimes you drink one bottle and you're feeling quite a hit off of it. Another time you need to drink 10 to get, to get the same effect. So <laughs> we got in a year, you know, always had a nasty hangover from beer that was left out in the sun too long or whatever. So so uh, me and my, my people, uh, my, my friends that I was working with at the time said, look, we need to brew our own back in 2016. So, you know, the craft beer scene in the UK was jumping at that point. People were converting their, their home brewing into businesses. Uh, um, breweries were kicking off with some amazing beers that we know are now household names back then were just opening up. And we thought, well, we can do this. So we flew in a little 20-litre um, home home brew set I'm sure many many of your listeners are familiar with and we're brewing you know 50 bottles a week between three of us and by the time you dish them out at 10 each you don't really get you don't really get that much beer to drink <laughs> yeah. and then people started saying can we can we try some so after a few dozen terrible batches uh, uh you know cooked up in our living room and, and stuff like that we eventually started making something decent and people were like oh this is really good can we buy some from you and of course we didn't have enough so you know, one of the principles of our brewery is using as much local ingredients and as local skills as possible. So we fabricated um, a 200 liter uh, brew kettle and fermenters with um, a, a cano based cano based uh, steel fabricator, um, and we we basically started making 200 liter batches. Again, still in our garage, we converted. I converted my spare bedroom into a fermentation room with the air conditioning <laughs> unit on set to 16 degrees um few explosions in there managed to flood the downstairs downstairs neighbor luckily he was getting free beer so he didn't complain too much um and we started doing the event circuit so we're making 500 bottles doing the jam rock festivals the jazz festivals the the farmers market the christmas parties seen embassy parties and we and we sold out of everything and that was fantastic for us you know it was a lot of hard work um, it was a lot of uh, manual, you know, bottling, bottle conditioning, capping, um, a lot, all of our weekend hours. And uh, once we met, we went through that festival circuit, having sold out all of our beers to Nigerians and getting feedback that they were willing to to pay for it, um, we decided, you know, let's try and make this a business. So by September 2017, we had found a little a little kind of shop commercial area in Abuja and behind a well-known uh, uh, American style diner. It was really a, just like two rooms. The first room was 
not much bigger than maybe five five meters squared. It was really small. Just stuck two chairs and, and two taps in there. And then in the back, we had a small production and area. And the idea was to just make it and sell it at festivals and to bars. Um, but we found people started coming down for beers. And then by 2018, our first um, year of trading, we had basically converted that into a 60-seater venue. So we had 60 seats across, um, I think, roughly about 10 or 12 tables. We had um, a bar with uh, 10, 10 beers on draft. And we had a, recruited a, a full team of, of, of brewers and, and chef brewers and basically training them up on how to make beer. Um, I must say that uh, maybe talk a bit more about our, how strong our team is and how lucky we are to have them. But we managed to move from our basic knowledge of reading, um, you know, the books by Mickler to more technical books um, and training ourselves to actually having qualified uh, uh, trained brewers with us, which was which was a great, great step forward. Um, so, yeah, so in 2018, we finished our first year of trading. We were profitable. We were at full capacity. We'd, we'd basically converted our brew system to 400 litres and we had four 400 litre fermenters um, and we were just brewing, brewing essentially to fill them up twice twice a month and um, and sell all the beer, which was great. And then in 2019, we said, right, you know, this is this pilot or this experiment has worked. Um, let's try and try and, and go to Lagos, which is a big city, as I was saying, 20 million people. So we uh, put together, I put together a business plan and then we went to raise some finance. We were successful in that. All friends, family from Nigeria, some from back home here in Scotland. Um, and we basically uh, reached our target fundraise. We, as a founder, kept control of the business and also had uh, the support of all the other co-founders as well to bring that forward. And by January 2020, we had the funds in the bank. We had identified a brew system. We were all systems go. And then COVID hit. But, uh, <laughs> Seems to be a common a story, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So that's been the latest challenge, and maybe we'll touch on that later. But that's quite quite a quick whirlwind tour of, of, of how we set up and established. But if you want to dive into any of those areas more, just ask away. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by setting up a, a coal store in your house um, <laughs> and, and flooding your neighbour. I mean, what are the regulations like for selling beer and stuff over there? Because like, over here, you've got to jump through lots of different hoops, as in the USA, you know, there's loads of yeah. red tape over there as well. Um, but how, how does it work in Nigeria? Yeah, and I think I mean be open about this. People's perception of of Nigeria and probably Africa as a whole is often of challenge and um, maybe even corruption or bureaucracy or or uh, you know risky business. But I would really want to emphasise that it's a place of opportunity, and the reason opportunity is there is because it's difficult to do business. If it was easy, there'd be more people doing it. Mm. But I I firmly believe the opportunities outweigh the costs and the risks. Things, things can take longer as they would anywhere else. It can be difficult operating um, when you when you move there. But when you find the right networks, the right um, the right product, and the right customer base, you can make a real success in, in places like Nigeria. And that's hope you know that's a trajectory that we are on. But the regulations and the commercial businesses are all set up to favour large industries. Um, the, the regulations for starting up a brewery require all sorts of huge factory size, uh, minimum size of, of warehousing. They require your own dedicated um, water, water treatment plant. They require, uh, they require high-tech lab equipment. They require um, regular visits from the authorities. They require also much, probably similar in the sense of what you might see a commercial brewery needing in the UK or the US. But there's no there's no regulation to cover small startup businesses, and that's a real a real challenge. We basically had to use our relationships and our negotiation power with the regulators to highlight that we are a new type of industry, um, um, and that we were coming in under what they would probably uh, term as cottage industry, in a sense. And cottage industry is usually meant for people who are making things at home, such as um, bars of soap or handmade mm. handmade pressed oils or um, perhaps uh, traditional traditional food type stuff, but we managed to to work around and, and look at it those means. But even last week, I got a question. We'd submitted a new beer to the regulator for approval, and what's required in Nigeria is each each beer that you we make or produce has to be tested and given a, a health and safety license. 
So not only do you need your factory or your production space to be certified as um, health and safety compliant and uh, food standards agency accredited, each product has to be, and then each label also. And then each batch, you have to send a sample to the regulator. That's incredibly burdensome for us. Um, but when we submitted a new beer recently, only last week, we got back uh, a question saying, um, what's an IPA? <laughs> and at that point, you're like, right, okay. Uh, and they're like, oh, you have to write that out in full, you know, Indian pale ale. And then the question comes back, well, why is it called Indian? It's not made in India. So you do get these things where you're bringing a new product to an industry that doesn't exist yeah. yet in Nigeria and you get these types of questions. So that can be in increasingly burdensome on us. But I would say the biggest challenge we face um, is nothing is really set up to help small businesses, especially within the, the beverage market. So, for example, when we first went to get a run of bottles, in the UK, you could probably go to your bottle shop and buy anything from 12 empty bottles through to, you know, a purchase of 1,000 through to maybe 10,000 bottles, depending on your need. Or you can even go and subcontract brew elsewhere. That wasn't an option for us. So we had to go straight to the bottle um, producer who was also supplying Guinness and, and Heineken. And uh, they said, oh, that's great. It's great to see a new brewery. Um, how many bottles do you need? And I said, well, you know, we'd like to start off with maybe an order of, of you know, 2,000 a month. He said, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. The minimum order is 350,000 bottles. <laughs> now, <laughs> at that time, imagine your working capital being sunk in 350,000 bottles, yep. but also think of the storage space required for that many bottles at a minimum order. And that would be my whole apartment plus my garage plus my neighbor's apartment and everything else. So that's a consistent problem that we face uh, out there when we try to order boxes for our for our bottles or for our cans and um, ordering labels everything is set up for big businesses and the only way around it in nigeria is by negotiation and by making alliances and, and and friends so we eventually made a deal where we took the off run of bottles so essentially you know someone orders three hundred and forty thousand, but in the production process they have to produce three hundred and forty eight thousand. we would take the excess eight thousand and and basically buy that in bulk and that's that works for us, but it's difficult because it eats up so much of our, our working capital as a business by holding holding this type of stock. Mm. Do you get the same thing with molten hops then? Like where, where do you source those from? And have you got the same issue of having to buy like X amount of tons of grain and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, we do have a commitment to using as much local ingredients as possible. And, you know, it works for us. We we, we inspire other brewers to, to get involved in the business. We have customers who love the stories behind our beers, which maybe we can talk about later. Mm. But um, but it also means that, uh, you know, we, there's a stigmatism of, of sorghum-based beers. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the truth is that we do use sorghum in, I would say, eight out of our 10 beers, but we mix it with imported barley. So we use um, uh, locally grown guinea corn sorghum. We usually have to buy that in, in essentially tons um usually i think the minimum order is like five tons that we, we order um and we use that in 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 almost all of our beers but the the mix ratio depends so in our stouts we use more sorghum but in our paleos we use only about 20 percent, and then the rest we use of imported barley for our for our um base malts it's not too hard because there's heineken guinness and ab InBev uh, in nigeria they're importing their barley so we we were buying from a supplier who was essentially the same thing who's supplying them, and we would buy the over the overrun of of, of Marisotter or Turo on whatever we could get our hands on. Um, but our specialty malts we need to bring in ourselves. So we have a a supplier who basically would ship to a, a freight forwarder in the UK, and then we'd we'd uh, ship that into Nigeria. But the good news is, as we've grown and um, as we've as we built up um, the production, we're moving into a ten hectolitre system with um, 50 hectolitres of fermentation space. Uh, so we we are now sourcing from a UK supplier who's going to ship everything for us um, to Nigeria. They already have a logistics chain there. So that's going to be a huge burden off of our shoulders of having to deal with not only sourcing malts directly from different suppliers and then getting them shipped to Nigeria, but also dealing with like the import permits and the yeah. other such, such things. So I'm really looking forward to being at a size where we can use suppliers. Our hops come uh, from South Africa and from a UK distributor, but they are the traditional hops you'd see in the craft beer industry from 
um, Amarillo, Citra, uh, Galaxy, Cascade, and um, everything else, uh, Will You Met, etc. So, uh, so we use we use international hops. Unfortunately, hops are not grown in Nigeria. We would love to experiment with greenhouse growing hops in in Nigeria. We will do that at some point, but that's just uh, down the line for us. And there is barley grown in Nigeria, but in very small amounts, and it's not to the grade you could malt with. But you know, if we are a brewery around for the next twenty years or a hundred years, this is the kind of stuff we want to invest in, so that we can eventually have you know fully made in Nigeria beer that mm. is grown locally, grains, uh, local hops, and and uh, adjuncts and, and others from Nigeria. But I guess on the other side, like there's a whole roster of un- unused before in beer fruits and spices. There's one spice we use in um, our Halloween beer called alligator pepper. Alligator pepper is used by uh, in the southeast by tribes when they're doing their juju or, or voodoo spells. So, you know, we got that spice, we converted it and we grinded it up. We made a, made a beer out of it and we call it our juju beer. So there's a whole roster of new ingredients that are prime, ready to be used in a beer that will give our beer a unique take um, that you wouldn't be able to make elsewhere, or at least you'd have to import the ingredients elsewhere, we will have them at our doorsteps. And uh, a lot of people are making uh, hibiscus beers now. We've been doing that for a while. Hibiscus is a traditional herbal medicine in Nigeria called Zobo. So we use that in, in one of our beers as well. And it's you know amazingly pink and uh, our Nigerian customers love it. Nice. So with, with sorghum, just um, touching on that, like w- w- what are some of the challenges of brewing with that? I mean, I've never brewed with it myself. Yeah. But... <laughs> Um, as a challenge, you know, people are looking at sorghum as gluten-free, but I think the main challenges from experience of brewing with sorghum is the conversion of the, the sugar to alcohol is not as uh, efficient. So we have, if you use too much sorghum, you, it can be quite a thick beer, have quite a thick mouthfeel mm. and be quite be quite sweet as well, have almost like a sweet aftertaste to it. Uh, head retention is another issue as well with sorghum. It doesn't retain, retain a head. So... Um, that's why we always mix our batches with with you know barley and base malts as well. Um, but what we do find is in stouts, you probably wouldn't be able to tell it was right. it was sorghum. You wouldn't be able to know. And then our other beers um, that have other flavourings, such as uh, um, shakara made with zobo um, and pomegranate, then you know you wouldn't be able to tell the sorghum in that. But what we do find is our pale ales tend to have a darker colour, um, a darker darker measurement on the on the SRM scale because sorghum is a darker color as well. You get more of an amber color coming out of it, even though, um, you know, it's meant to be a pale ale. It comes out, you know, looking more like an amber beer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. How have the locals taken to craft beer? I mean, I'd be interested to know what the Nigerian beer drinking culture is like and how it differs from somewhere like the UK or America, Australia elsewhere there's a big beer drinking culture i'll tell you that much and that's great to see <laughs> and that's one reason why we're in it as well because we can see that people love beer um a big stout drinking culture as well so obviously with guinness the yes. largest guinness factory in the world is in is in lagos in nigeria and the guinness in nigeria is 7.5 percent, so it's a, a stronger beer as well so it's that there's actually very common to drink stout and our second biggest seller in the brewery is uh, our black gold stout as well right um we put a lot of effort into the stout because internationally, as you'd know, that any brewery worth its salt must have a good stout. Yep. You know, it's, a, it's, it's an art form in a way. But we also knew that it's more likely to be drunken or drank by uh, our Nigerian customers as well. Um, so so that's one thing. They like their stouts. They like the strength. They, they prefer our beers to be our black gold stout is 10%. It's an imperial coffee oh, stout. Happy days. Happy days, yeah. <laughs> And I was quite, just to give stories, I, I think anecdotes are the best way to sum up, you know, experiences as I was quite hesitant to sell it as a pint being 10%. Coming from my bias as a UK consumer, you know, your your, your drinks, your, your beers at 10% are usually served in a third mm. or even a half a pint maximum. So I was like, guys, we can't be selling a 10% beer. People will be falling off their stools if we sell it in a pint. And uh, the team were like, no, no, you know, we... Nigeria likes strong beers, we can handle it. And I said, right, okay, we'll sell it by the pint and by two-thirds of pint. We have steins, we have one-litre glasses in our, in our brewery at the back, right? And now more people try and buy black gold by the litre to drink right. than even by a pint. <laughs> <You're> right, <yeah. laughs> and sometimes I just have to close my eyes and go, right, well, if, you know, the customer's right. They're not falling off their chairs. They're drinking it, they're enjoying it. They want to drink it by the litre, okay, we'll, we'll, let them do it. we'll let them do that. Um, so they like the strength, 
They like their stouts. Um, they are definitely attracted to the made in Nigeria um, aspect of, of what we do. Um, I think Nigeria is very proud of its, of its um, agricultural sector and its ingredients, but there's not a lot of trailblazing brands that say made in Nigeria. So when we're able to do that, it brings attention. And then I think also I would say that uh, draft is a new thing. So most people would not necessarily drink draft beer three or four years ago. There was no one really doing it um, and everything was in the bottle. Mm. And I, you can understand why the infrastructure, there's no history of having cellars. There's no taps installed in bars. It's all fridges and, and beers. Anyone who's traveled to, to Africa or even Asia would see the same thing. Um, so doing draft was was uh, what we wanted to do because we felt that freshest form of, of, of tasting beer straight from the brewery, it's got to be draft. But what we have seen is a movement generally in the country from 2016 to draft being seen as premium. Um, Heineken has rolled out standalone draft systems. Uh, Budweiser has moved in to Nigeria in the last uh, four years, investing heavily in a production site, but also rolling out draft as well. Um, so we're also coming in with draft. So you're seeing the movement towards draft. And I remember being told in 2016 by um, a friend at Diageo, um, who owned Guinness, that Nigerians will never drink draft. They don't trust anything that comes out of a tap. I think that myth has been completely blown out of the water. People mm -hmm. prefer draft now. And that's a great, great trend. I think for us, specifically as a craft brewery, being able to say the beer's fresh, drink it on site, is a great trend that we're seeing as well. Yeah. I love that um, about draft, you know, because I, I, I mean, I've not travelled um, to Africa or Asia, um, just sort of, you know, UK and Europe, but um, you get very much stuck in your own culture and you can fall into the trap of thinking, oh, that's how the world is, you know. And then, you know, to hear that um, elsewhere, you know, dra draft is a new thing. Um, yeah, exactly. but, 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 you know, I, I love um, everything you've said about what you're doing with the beers, how you're kind of taking... Um, you know, a, a drink that has largely been uh, in lots of ways, particularly craft beer, you know, associated with places like the UK and the USA. Um, but then you're kind of um, sort of rooting that in Nigerian culture and um, flavours and stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's really interesting um, about the draft thing. Yeah. So that, I think that's the, the, the story of who we want to be. We know that, you know, there's amazing beers all over the world, but no one ever looks to Nigeria or West Africa and says, oh, I want to really try a beer from there. That's got a great reputation. But we're going to make it have a great reputation. That's our ambition. And it should come with that international standard of IPAs, pale ales, um, imperial coffee stouts, build on all the learning and all the amazing things that breweries in the UK, USA have done. But we have to come from it from a Nigerian angle of what to, what is great about Nigeria, what ingredients are grown locally, what's a fantastic flavour that is only available here, and how can we make a beer with that? And mm. that's what we want to do, and that's what we want to put on show to the world. And we've had some success doing this. You know, 2019, we entered the African Beer Cup and um, that's held in Cape Town 2019. And that's a submission of uh, beers from all around Africa into basically an award. And we sent over, you know, we, as I said, we started up in a really small space with a, a brew system that was fabricated locally and probably cost us less than $20,000 to make. And we submitted Black Gold, which is sorghum-based mixed with roasted barley, chocolate barley. We use um, golden hops, Nigerian coffee beans, Nigerian honey, and Nigerian sugars. Um, quite a lot of coffee, um, and it gives that nice balance where the, 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 the coffee kind of covers any sweetness that comes mm. out from the sugars, but gives it a lovely mouthfeel when it looks like an espresso in a glass. And the only way we could send this over was putting 24 bottles in a DHL and shipping it by airplane, which cost us about $400 to do that. <laughs> um, and we had no hope. We didn't think we'd get anywhere, but we thought we've got to try. Even to participate, you know, is, is, is good to do. And we got the bronze award. And, um, and, you know, we were over the moon with that. To make to compete with breweries across Africa that cost hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to, to make and uh, uh, to build. And we, we'd done that locally with local ingredients. Some of these ingredients just bought directly from uh, the lady who, you know, <laughs> makes the honey in our, collects the honey in our local community is now in our beer. 
is just a story of like Nigeria in itself. It's got so much flavor, so much opportunity that if it could just be bottled in a sense, then it can be award-winning. So that's yeah. what we want to do. Mm. And I'm right in thinking that some of your label designs come from like local artists as well in Nigeria. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, so we're doing a new new run of labels uh, for we're launching our can can canning line in January this year. So in preparation for that, we've worked with an artist which you can check on Instagram. Give him a shout out at Williams Cheshet, C H E C H E T, and he does collages using traditional, mostly northern images photography overlaid on colours and and pop art, which is really cool. So check him out, and then we worked with the MSC Williams who um, does some graphic design so what we're trying to do is is not use traditional like african prints we think african prints are really cool but they've they've been done many times Hmm. we're trying to use like modern artists that show the diversity and also the the kind of modern trend of nigerian art and culture as well and we sometimes fuse that so we do use um pam pam creative who work with mccallum um, to help refine some of our designs or make it look more modern. But the, at the base of it is that fusion of, you know, top standards mixed with as much local flavours and, and cultures as that yeah. we can find. Yeah. And uh, So th- throughout the movie, how does that dynamic work? Because I know it's it's mixed ownership, right? So it's um, yourself who's an expat, um, Nigerian ownership. Uh, was it Lebanese? Is that one of the other... Owners. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, trying to I'm trying to remember from last quite, time we spoke. Quite a big Lebanese community in in well, in, in Nigeria, um, and they are in various industries. But obviously, spent my time there. Um, I've made friends that are Nigerian, Lebanese, uh, etc. So when we went to we targeted to raise um, half a million dollars, we thought that would be enough to get a ten hectolitre brew house, uh, get a new site in Lagos, and have enough operating capital to get set up. So we basically put together a business plan and our idea was to, you know, change the ownership from basically myself and, and uh, friends to more dynamic and, and more uh, um, leverage on and diversity within within the team as well. So, yeah, we took on some Nigerian investors and an investor from from Scotland, a family friend of mine uh, and and some other Lebanese friends um, around around Nigeria. And that provides so much more inputs and insights into the business uh, from both a operational of you know this is how things get done in nigeria from logistics through to operations through to um you know mixing our beer with food pairing and uh, finding new ingredients side of things and then through to some business acumen uh, in terms of international uh, levels of you know just having someone on your side who says you know i've built a number of businesses before and this is what you should do or come to me for advice. So I think our, our ownership structure really benefits the business in so many ways now that it's not just myself pouring pints, making beer, doing the accounts <laughs> yeah. and doing everything else. Um, but also we are, we're launching an employee ownership scheme as well. We want all our employees uh, to have a share in the business. And that is quite unique, I think, in any any um, business environment, but in Nigeria, there's there's probably not very many businesses at all trying to do this, and we want to do that. I want the business to be uh, owned by all employees who've invested their time over the years into the business, um, and for you know reap the rewards of, of future growth and future expansion mm. as well. Amazing. I mean, let's chat about your team. Like, so how, how many people work for Bature? How, how did you recruit them and find them? Do you have any interns? You know that kind of thing. Yeah, so we, it's always a challenge in Nigeria um, to find, find good quality skills, um, even from the sense of when you're recruiting maybe someone at bar staff, bar staff or, or a bar management level, you know, with the basis of good English, good um, uh, maths, uh, mathematics, good ability of IT, you know, it's, not, it's not, a bit, not so much like the UK where you've got, you know, a list of graduates who are going to work in a bar while they're at university. Um, you know, who have great, you know, numeracy and, and literacy skills. There's not always that available. And then on the other side, the more technical skills, um, often you'll find that really, really uh, talented Nigerians will will end up becoming diaspora and move to the UK or US or Europe to, you know, fulfill their careers and increase their earnings. But we've been really lucky in the brewery. We've, we've found a, a team that is, um, you know, does things that I could 
I'm not smart enough to do. So that's, that's good in so many ways. And we're expanding. So right now we have about 20 people across the board from, you know, the, the shift brewers, the bartenders, or our, our tap room through to our HR and, and um, accounts. But within the brew team, we've got uh, essentially at the moment, two shift brewers, um, assistant head brewer, quality control, and then uh, and then the head brewer, head of production. But that's going to increase by one or two as we open up in, in Lagos. Uh, we... I was very lucky to meet Bio Ijasan. So he is the head of production, uh, kind of brewmaster for us. He uh, trained in Heriot Watt in Edinburgh and then came back to Nigeria. So good brewing school, good brewing mm. background. And he helped us transform the brewery from essentially what, what many breweries would have done where their founder taught themselves through iteration and, and managed to get the business started into a more professional uh, brew schedule, you know, better records of what's being brewed, temperature control, observation, uh, recipe design. So he's basically in charge of all of that. And he found us, he just heard that, um, but basically he, um, Heineken bought over a Nigerian brewery called Consolidated uh, Breweries, then shut them down. And um, so he was moved out of Heineken and he was temporarily working in a bank. And he heard obviously that someone was doing craft beer around town. So he basically came down and was like, hey, uh, I love craft beer. I've just came back from um, Edinburgh a few years ago and I want to um, I want to get back into brewing after his experience. And I think he really likes the fact he gets to do more than just push buttons on a, yeah. on a, on a digital screen to produce beer. He is in there tasting the malt, making new recipes, um, mixing the hops, checking everything more manually. Um, and also having a say not just in the production of the beer, but the naming of the beer, the the upcoming new hops that we want to try, the um, the label design. You know, he's really involved in everything now, which is which is great. Uh, but he found us, and he interned for us for about two weeks. And I was like, hey, you know more than me about brewing beer. You're now you're now in charge. <laughs> uh, so that's great. So shout out to Bio. Um, often him and I will do kind of Instagram lives with other breweries around the region. Um, and he's always a good person to chat beer about and to discover new recipes with. And then working under him is is Peace. Peace um, um, is, has an HND in fermentation and, and microbiology from a Nigerian university. She's been with us over a year now. She's quite young. She's in her, her early 20s. And our ambition is to take her to the master brewer level over the next you know five years and get her to be like the first female master brewer mm. uh, in, in Nigeria and to basically Amazing. run run the, the Abuja operations and at Bio run the, the Lagos operations. So I'll give a, a shout out to Peace if she's listening. And then we have our, our two shift brewers, uh, Alpha and Abdul, who are great. You know, they solve all sorts of problems that, you know, they, we have all the problems that other breweries have, right? So um, not hitting the gravity or um, the quality of malt not being what it should be. But we have so many other problems. We don't have power half the time. The light might go out. The power might go out halfway through a brew. What do you oh do? My word. Thirty minutes into a boil, and you know the power goes down, and you're scrambling to get a generator turned on, and and you know fill up the generator. So we have that. Then, like our chilling system, you know, it's the the ambient temperature of probably your tap water in Scotland is probably four degrees or something like that. So you can do a good bit of chilling through the first run through just the the mains water, but mm. the, the water of the taps in Nigeria comes out at like 20 degrees. So, so like <laughs> chilling takes a long time, even when we, we switch on to the glyco. Uh, yeah. And then obviously the, the heat, right, is 35 degrees in brewing day. And then you're also brewing inside. So they have real challenges that you wouldn't have necessarily in the UK that we have to deal with. Yeah. And that's my job is now predominantly to solve their problems and wow. make sure that, make sure that they can just brew and do what they do well. And I'll try and take care of the infrastructure and the and the, the, the permits and all that kind of stuff. Oh, kudos to your team. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> yeah I was just chatting to someone um, earlier about bad brew days. I had one yesterday, um, but yeah, no, nothing in comparison to the power going out and you know the, those kind of silly, silly non-beer friendly yeah. temperatures. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, what, what what's the big picture for Baturi Brew? I mean, you, you seem quite ambitious, and um, you know and a lot of what you're saying really sort of ticks my boxes of thinking, you know, you sound like a really progressive brewery and um, I guess a, a trailblazer in a country where, 
you know, there hasn't been craft beer. So, I mean, I would imagine there's a lot of like trends setting, like you said earlier about the IPA thing, um, you know, and, and we take a lot of those things for granted over here, um, you know, because the, there have been those innovators before, but effectively you're having to innovate the way forward. So what's, wh- where do you see it going over the next few years? And, and may- maybe as well talk about how COVID's impacted the business, because before we start to recording, um, you say saying that it's, it's been a bit different in um, Nigeria. Yeah, happy to. And thanks. Thanks for the compliments. As I said, you know, listening to your your podcast, often I'm in awe of what other people are doing and wish we were at that level. And I hope that whoever's listening to this will get something out of of hearing our story as well. Um, It certainly is uh, a new new, or maybe the last region for craft beer to really grow in in the way it has. And, And that drives us in so many ways in terms of the ambition of what can be achieved because we're learning from, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants would be the phrase. We don't have to invent, you know, a brand new style of beer like um, a New England IPA. We, we, we can taste it great ones and we can replicate that and enhance it in a Nigerian way. Um, but what we do have is a challenge of educating our customers in a way that um, has already been done elsewhere. But we do see it. There's no reason why Nigeria will not follow the path of um, Europe, the UK, or or South Africa, and the explosion of of craft beer, and that's the greatest thing that we can do as a business is give people their first ever opportunity to sip on a craft beer and see their faces as they go, "Well, this is different," or you know, just "Oh my God, give me another one," or "Wow, that was so good, can I try something else?" So at our heart, you know, that's our that's our mission is to make you know the most flavorful beer these people will ever try in their lives, and hopefully they'll um, enjoy it. But the big picture, like the next big step is to open Lagos for us. This has been the ambition since, you know, brewing in our bathroom or a bathtub back in 2016. Lagos is a huge city. Um, we've got the finance. We have a, a plot of land in the middle of Victoria Island, which is the equivalent of, you know, central London, essentially. We've got a brew site brewing there. There will be a tap room as well with an additional restaurant installed for kind of high-end experience. Um, and that's the, the immediate picture for us. And it's a big step for us um, moving in there and getting that set up against all the challenges of, of, of getting set up during COVID. That's big personally and big as the business, but it's the big picture for us is to essentially grow this business to encourage other craft brewers to come into the scene in Nigeria, give them the opportunity either to brew with us or just give them advice on how they can get set up and put Nigeria on the map for having its unique style of beer. Mm. Whether that's going to be a West African pale ale or a Niger pale ale, I don't know the name, or eventually someone will create and, and make that style uh, um, synonymous with the region. That's what we want to do. Um, and then I would love to be collaborating with some other brewers in South Africa and the UK, bringing you know the best of Nigerian ingredients and style and culture with perhaps uh, a brand that is is uh, it has a similar cultural feel or outlook or the best of Scottish or the best of uh, English brewers and like fire them together and see what happens and essentially have that international arm of Baturi Brewery that says, you know, you want to try a West African beer, here's one collab with a UK brewery and then here's one of our standalone beers, maybe in a bottle shop or, or, or on draft or in a restaurant uh, in the UK, that's what we'd love to do. And then from there, I think we'd love to go into either exporting to other West African markets or do a, a do a, another operation somewhere like Ghana or or Liberia, all places that I've worked and have relationships with, which you know are great cities like Accra are growing. They're exciting places to be as well. So that's that's where that's where we're headed. Oh, amazing! So, I mean, if anyone's listened to this who who thinks that sounds like a really great idea and they want to collab with you, like how how would you envision that working? Yeah, I think it could be both ways. You know, I would really say get in touch on our Instagram at Baturi Brewery or email me, just Kevin at baturibrewery.com and we can make it happen. But I think it could be both ways. So we would love to have someone else's beer brewed in our system or a collab beer brewed in Nigeria and the same recipe brewed in, in London or in Glasgow or Edinburgh, wherever, wherever else. And basically we could bring our unique ingredients, whether it's Nigerian coffee beans or Nigerian sugars or honey or Nigerian hibiscus or mangoes. It could be anything like that. And then, you know, you learn from a brewery here on how to make that into a fantastic beer. 
and then we could do the same in, in Nigeria and have it on tap or in or in the shops in, in Nigeria as well. It would give a collaboration partner a chance to taste the Nigerian market, see if they're interested in operating there. They could come to a brew house and you know spend spend a few weeks there seeing the sights and sounds. We'll give them a tour of the country. Maybe they'll find a great ingredient for for one of their beers. Um, so that's that would be great to do. And if anyone is listening, um, give us give us a shout. We're always willing to to learn on this journey, and you know learn from others is the best way to mm. to make our beers better as well. Nice one. And let's just go back to the COVID thing because before we hit record, um, you were saying about on the run up to Christmas, you know, there being various tastings and events happening, and it's kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> things are evidently different over there than they are here because so uh, everything is on zoom um yeah exactly so um and if you could repeat some of the stuff you said because i thought it was really interesting um so, some of the comments you made i think the listeners would really benefit from it so um j- just sure. talk about the whole covid thing and and the journey that you've been on and and i guess the manifesto as well that you, you published on that yeah sure so I think there's two sides that we could go into. One is like the impact of COVID on the business and then the impact of COVID on Nigeria. And um, I'll start with the business, which is the more tougher sense. And I'll do that quickly is that just like everyone else, um, we seen we were in the middle of um, procuring a new brew house uh, in collaboration with Drifter, Drifter Brewing in South Africa. They've, they also build and install. So we were working with them and our brew house was due to be shipping by March. Um, but unfortunately, due to COVID kicking in and the, the whole production line got kicked back and our brewery wasn't even built for until uh, June, June, July, which was a huge delay of almost six months off the original plan. Then the shipping time was meant to be 40 days. And now we're in over 120 days of shipping of the new brew house. And that's put real strains from a business perspective. And this is, I remember listening to your podcast on you know managing COVID and talking about cash flow management and mm. forecasting. And um, that was really helpful. You know, I was in the middle of doing it myself, not really knowing what to do, but the fact that you were talking through that, I thought was good advice. And, and, and you know, we did that and we built some scenarios around, but it has put strains on kind of working capital and on, um, you know, expected expected uh, sales because we've just been pushed back by effectively a whole year. But we'll get through it and we'll get there. And um, I think that, you know, credit to the team, um, when we had to do shut down like everyone else in Nigeria between March and um, August, you know, there was a lockdown in Nigeria too. Um, and the team, you know, all had to sacrifice some of their time and other things to get through it. But what we've seen in Nigeria and, and what's different from the UK is Nigeria is starting to open up now and start to return to normal. Our taproom sales are pretty much about 90% uh, year on year for October and we expect them to just looking at November now, we're pretty much back to where we were last year. And there's some reasons for that. Um, you know, we do operate the tap room with COVID measures. We have masks, we have hand sanitizers, we've moved all the, the tables two meters apart, but there's a big outdoor setting culture as well. And mm. this weather is good all year round. So you can sit outside as, you know, when it rains, you go inside, finishes in 30 minutes, you can go back outside. So that also helps. But I think generally like Nigeria has many challenges infrastructure challenges, healthcare challenges, but also things like malaria and typhoid are basically a condition of every everybody's life, whether rich or poor, um, young or old. These are things you face on a daily basis. And malaria is deadly. Uh, typhoid can be deadly. So when you're facing these things on a day-to-day basis, people acknowledge that COVID is a challenge, is a problem, but, but you know they're more likely to suffer from malaria. Uh, their children are more likely to die from malaria or typhoid, even if you get them treated, then they would be COVID. So I think there's some real, you know, reality check on what's important and, and what needs to be focused on. Secondly, there's not huge reserves of um, uh, capital or loans to finance businesses or to give out furlough schemes to individuals. The government, you know, is doing what it can, and other people can comment on the government or in a different podcast. But the reality is, there's no social safety net, mm. and if you don't go out and work. You're not going to get paid and then you're not going to eat. You don't have, you know, most people don't have a lot of savings. So people need to go out and, and, and earn, earn, their, earn their living. And I think that's fair enough from their perspective. I'm not a public health expert, but uh, we do know that Nigeria has predominantly over 50% of the population are, are under 30. I think only around 5% of the population 
are over 65. So the at-risk groups are a very small part of the population. Um, and then obviously the climatic conditions, there's no flu season. There's no like winter flu season or anything like that. So it is very different dynamics. Not a public health expert, uh, but I do think that the that the risk there is 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 lower in the sense when it's via V, say malaria, typhoid, or you know earning earning your living. So what we're seeing in Nigeria is people continuing to use masks in some establishments like ours, and other places people are just getting back to normal because they have to, and that's likely to to continue. Yeah, I do wonder how much there is a in the West a sense of entitlement um you know with all this because you know we're reasonably lucky for want of a better word as far as like you know health and healthcare and and mortality is concerned you know comparison to elsewhere in the world and i, I remember in the first lockdown i think it was in april um queuing outside a supermarket and um, there's this um older couple there talking about it, and she said how they just got back from africa recently um and they'd been working out there for six months and um she was just saying like i I think people in this country need to kind of get over it a little bit in terms of like they i i demand my rights i you know and all the rest of it she's like you ought to go like live in africa for a bit (laughs) and um (laughs) i can't remember whereabouts they were um but she's just like you know it's like people need to have their eyes open um as, as far as you know some of the poverty that exists in the world and, and the kind of diseases that people have to deal with day in, day out. And and, and in saying that, just so the listeners do hear me, you know, it's, I, I completely understand the, the, the plight in the industry um, and I get it. And it, I, it grieves me, you know, the whole sort of lives versus livelihood thing, you know, it's that's tough um, and I'm not downplaying that at all. But I, I guess, like you just said, elsewhere in the world, there are the diseases that people, human beings have had to coexist with and, and live side by side by. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think this can, you, if you want another two hour podcast and a few more guests, <laughs> you could definitely get into this, this debate. But I would come off the back of that and, and say, look, I'm, I've got a, a, a calendar of events now from essentially the 8th with our Christmas pub quiz, then our uh, Christmas party. We've got a, this Friday we've got an all-night electro beats party going on that you know social distancing will be adhered to but we will be open outdoor space with a DJ playing Um, our our, um, logistic lines have been tested and strained but we're still able to move things at a reasonable speed so we should be you know opening up in in January and we're looking forward to that and it and it's always for me a line between challenges and opportunity and it's very easy to focus on what you see on the tv you know recently there was a terrorist attack in northern nigeria or there was the nsars campaign and there was a terrible thing that happened happened there and that's bad and we wish it wasn't there but the reason that we're doing business in nigeria is because of the opportunity it's an exciting place to be there's so much culture in one in one country there's so much going on the colors the sounds the flavors the tastes afro beats it's it's really as much it's really as much like the booming booming city of lagos in, in nigeria and people shouldn't miss out on that and it makes me really sad when i come back to the uk and i see the struggle and the plight of other brewers or, or bars mm. who, who are where they are they will get over it. I hope uh, you know the, the many businesses will will not, but hopefully the majority do and and touch wood and support for them. But hey, if you're looking to invest in Nigeria or want to open a brewery, <laughs> I am here to give you some tips. <laughs> and um, also, I would imagine early when you're talking about that ten percent stout um, with all those coffee beans and all the rest of it, there'll be some. Um, craft beer nerd listening to this you know impy stout warrior that's like right booking my first ticket to lagos so if, <laughs> if that's you maybe you can invest in Vature. so yeah well f- yeah, f- thanks for being on the show today it's, it's been great having you um how can people find out more about you and the brewery and the journey you guys are on yep yeah, sure so we're we are going to about to launch another round of podcasts with bio and, and peace in January. So follow us on Instagram. You can hit them up and hear more about us. Check us out at B- Baturi Brewery or baturibrewery.com for, for news and for the blog. Um, reach out to me. Hopefully 
uh, you'll see us collaborate with your local brewery at some point next year, which would be fantastic. And um, I look forward to sending you some beers, Nick. So I really apologize. We've not got beers in front of you to have a taste. Oh, but I look forward new... to you sending me some beers as well. <laughs> <laughs> when, when our canning machine is up and running in January, you'll be one of our first international dispatches. Oh, happy we'll days. have our new, our new logo on it, a new label, sorry. And, uh, and uh, we'll send you our black gold and we'll send you our uh, Shakara, which is our Zobo Ale. Um, which is which means to show off, and it was based on a song by Phil Akuti, the father of Afrobeat. So, if any of your listeners are ever get their hands on a can of Shakara, they should put Phil Akuti on their Spotify or on their music streamer, and, and you'll see the song and the the beer come together. So, thanks right. very much. There is, I'll, I shall put that in my uh, my mental notes when it <laughs> arrives. So, brilliant. Well, thank you. All right, thanks very much. Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast was brought to you by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. SSV Limited have established themselves as the go-to partner to help you grow your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kits, coupled with the knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion, whether it's equipment supply, fully turnkey or anything in between. Their part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to keep your brewery up and running, many of which are available on next day delivery. Visit their website on ssblimited.co.uk. That's ssblimited.co.uk. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot 4 podcast this week. Don't forget we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at Hot Forward Beers. Until next time, cheers. Hi,